Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to our Management and Leadership 101 podcast. This is your host, Vilma Rosales, and I am so excited to be here today because we're going to be talking about management and leadership in an elections office. When we think elections, we think of electing our president or going to a poll site and casting our votes, but I don't know about you, but I've never really thought about what it takes to actually manage an elections office, and that's exactly what we'll be talking about today, and I have a great group of people that are going to be engaging with me and going more into debt about this subject. So I hope y'all are ready. And without further ado, let's get to it. So to kick things off, I would like to talk about some considerations of working in the public sector in elections. And I have Lisa Mara here, who is the Director of Elections in Cochise, Arizona. I'm really excited to have you here, Lisa, and I have a question for you to just get things started. Why do you think you should pursue a career as an election administrator in the public sector? Is it really any different than working in the private sector? First, let's look at the reasons a person selects this field. Extreme interest in voting and the election process is probably top of the list. You know elections should be fair, transparent, and secure. You want to make a difference by being a public servant, and you have a servant heart for helping others and putting people first. You know it's important to be a good steward of money and resources. After all, as a taxpayer, it's your money too. And lastly, you enjoy great challenges and learning potential in your career. So why aren't more people doing it? Well, there's declining trust in government today due to extra scrutiny from everywhere, the public, media, candidates, and current elected officials. There's no room for error and zero tolerance for mistakes. But in closing, if you believe in democracy and you want to play a key role securing the cornerstone of our Constitution and voting, then a career path in government should give you some serious considerations to think about. Those are some great reasons, Lisa. But now let's talk a little bit about management styles. Are you willing to do some honest, oftentimes painful soul searching to develop an effective management style? First of all, let's talk about what type of manager are you? What type of manager do you want to be? What type of management style most appeals to you when you think about people you've worked for? Management is about planning, budgeting, staffing, defining jobs and roles, measuring performance and problem solving. A manager's perspective and attitude are often self-fulfilling. If you expect the best out of people, that's what you'll get. Conversely, if you expect employees to try anything to get out of work and be problem children, that's what they'll do. This theory is known as McGregor's Theory X and Y and is still in practice today. Not all of your employees will be the same, and to effectively manage all the moving parts that exist in election administration, you're going to have to learn how to get the most out of every individual every time. A successful manager in the field of elections must be able to communicate with conflict and stress, both internally and externally. When it doesn't and you have problems, you have to continue moving forward and learning. Those are really some great points, Lisa. And I want to talk a little bit about employee motivation, which we talked about before going on air. And there was a lot of things that stood out to me, but what really captured my attention was the order of importance of what executive think that employees actually care about. You guys mentioned that good wages, job security, promotion and advancement are what executives think motivates an employee the most. When in reality, employees actually want to feel appreciated. They want to feel like they're in on things. They want sympathetic help on personal problems. 
So this leads us to our next topic, which is in regards to emotional intelligence. And I have Paul Bargarino, who's the Chief Deputy Registrar of Voters in Riverside, California. And Paul, I have a question for you regarding emotional intelligence. What exactly is that and how can it be used in elections administration to bring the best out of a local elections team? Thank you for having me on your show, Vilma. For me, emotional intelligence is the ability to recognize our own emotions and the emotions of other people and use that ability or perception in how we make decisions. This awareness can be used to benefit an elections administration team because if we're constantly observing the moods of those we work with every day, we can determine the best ways to deliver our messages and encourage and inspire. Elections are unique in that the intensity escalates quickly, as we all know. There are peaks of high stress that come with the additional work hours, increased pressures from the media, from candidates, just everywhere. So being able to manage those emotions while acknowledging them and continuing to find the most productive ways to keep all members of our team going, that can help keep the elections office running smoothly. That is a great explanation of what emotional intelligence is, Paul. Thank you for that. Um, I want to now move on to leadership skills, and I have a question again for you, Paul. Uh, what are the types of skills that are needed from someone to become a leader in elections administration? What can be done to encourage individuals to develop these skills? That's a great question, Vilma. I think that some of the skills that are important are those that we call the soft skills, you know, though being able to effectively communicate with people, understanding where they're coming from using emotional intelligence. Uh, election administrators, another skill that they need is to be able to be a good listener. It helps to be open to new ideas and perspectives, maybe something they weren't thinking about. The last thing I'll mention is I think workplace empathy. What I mean by that is not only understanding where employees are coming from in day-to-day -day decision making, but also leading by example. You know, one of the greatest compliments I ever received about my leadership is that I don't ask my team to do things that I'm not willing to do and I'm not afraid to be hands-on. So um, I think the way that we can encourage development of individuals within elections administration to develop their own skills is to you know, put them in leadership positions so that they're stretched out outside of their comfort zone and they're able to develop those skills and see what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Thank you, Paul. I'm totally loving this. So let's move on now to diversity and inclusion. And I have Gavin Bailia, who's a confidential assistant to a registrar of voters in Louisiana. So Gavin, my question to you is, how can diversity and inclusion be helpful in elections administration? I'm glad you asked. I believe diversity is one of the biggest advantages in any organization. Having people from different backgrounds, races, and cultures brings different experiences and ideas, and also helps voters to find key commonalities between themselves and the people that serve them. These commonalities help to provide trust and understanding among election administration and the people we serve. Inclusion is also very important in elections administration. As I am sure anyone will tell you in elections administration, it is a team effort. Elections do not run themselves, and you cannot run them by yourself. Including people in the overall goals of the team will not only help everyone involved gain a better understanding, but it will bring different and new ideas to the table to help your team obtain its goals. 
Again, those are some very interesting points, Gavin. Thank you so much. And I will lastly introduce Aaron Frodsham, who's a GI specialist for Lubbock County elections in Texas. And Aaron, every part of the country has a diverse set of people and cultures surrounding elections and the electoral process. Is that correct? Yes, that is very true. Each state has a very unique culture regarding the electoral process, and within each state, there are even different groups that look at elections in different ways. Oregon, for example, is the first state to go to all-male balloting. It has always had a very high participation rate in elections, and you might say it is a, has a strong statewide voting culture. Voting is very important to them. Meanwhile, in New York, they were still using mechanical voting machines where you have to flip a switch next to the candidate's name and then pull a big lever to cast your vote. For New Yorkers, tradition matters and change comes hard. It is important then as an election official to be constantly aware of and working on a cultural competency with the people you are serving. You mentioned cultural competency. What exactly is that and what does that even mean in an election? Cultural competence is more of a process. The more you serve, the more you become aware of the gaps or holes in your knowledge of the people you work for. Acknowledging those gaps is that first step then. You can then make a deliberate effort to fill those gaps. Eventually, your understanding becomes second nature and you can predict the needs of those you serve and how to best serve them. But remember, populations are not static and are constantly changing, so it is a constant process you should be reviewing. It can be helpful to look at your policies and procedures and project them onto a framework like the Purnell model to try and see how they will affect the, your culturally diverse populations. It has truly been an honor to have all of you here today, and I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of Management and Leadership 101. Thank you, and see you again next week.